With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Breath of News 101. Quietly, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Well, Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Monday on the Radio Northwest Network, and I want to start with the craziest question. Although my job is made very easy by Northwest members of the Democrat Party, the Democrats by persuasion. They come up with the craziest, most lunatic stuff. And let me give you this example. Northwest Democrats now say that we should stop calling rapists rapists and find uh, a somewhat more forgiving description for, uh, it's usually a man, occasionally it can be a woman like Mary Kay Letourneau, but for the most part, rapists are men. Except that the Democrats think that calling them rapists is just too stigmatizing. We should find a different kind of terminology to describe them. And if you say, well, that's a crazy idea. It's not just a crazy idea, folks. It's an actual bill before the Washington legislature in Olympia. It is that crazy. They want to write it into law that they no longer want to call rapists rapists. And this is very significant for a couple of reasons, but I'll get into those in just a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, I mean, maybe there's somebody out there. I've had calls from people who've been convicted of violent crimes before. And I think, if memory serves, I've even had a call or two from somebody who is a rapist. And maybe we'll get a rapist naysayer today. Or somebody who feels all warm and fuzzy about rapists. And they want to say, well, we should call them by a different kind of term. I mean, aren't they finding terminology to describe all kinds of weird people and perverse people out there? I mean, for example, one of my favorites lately has been the insanity of talking about MIPS. You know what a MIP is? Uh, a mi Or MAP is a minor attracted person. And if you say, hold on, minor attracted person, and after that goes through your head and you work out the definitions, and you say, you mean a pervert, a pedophile, a child rapist, or somebody who is sexually attracted to children? That's what you want to call a minor attracted person? 
Believe me, folks, this this insanity just goes on and on and on. I mean, in both Oregon and Washington, they now no longer call them convicts or inmates. If you're living in a prison at current times because you were convicted of a serious crime, they want they don't want to call you an inmate anymore. They don't want to call you a convict. Believe it or not, the state of Oregon actually rewrote its definition to say these are adults in custody. Now, if that makes any sense to you, by all means, if you're a naysayer, call the show at 866-HEY-LARS. And like I said, naysayers go to the front of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send an email. If you don't have the guts to be a naysayer, send me an email. I get a lot of naysayer complaints that way as well. Easy to remember, talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our X poll, the poll on X. Do you support having a separate national anthem for black Americans? The NFL announcing its pregame lineup. Uh, for the Super Bowl game on Thursday, the league drew criticism over its intentions to have the Black National Anthem played before the game. Lift Every Voice and Sing, known as the Black National Anthem, has been played at each Super Bowl uh, and has stirred controversy on social media. No kidding. Do we need two national anthems for the United States? Uh, are we suggesting somehow that we are not all Americans, that some of us are in a separate category? Because that doesn't make any sense to me. But do you support having a separate national anthem for black Americans? My answer to that would be an uh, unequivocal no. I do not separate, uh, have a separate national anthem for black Americans, white Americans. I suppose at some point we could have them for transgender Americans. Imagine what that song would be. But today's poll on X is found at Lars Larson Show, and it's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, I've had the suggestion in the last couple of weeks. Lars, every time you talk about one of these lunatic ideas, you have to mention the people behind it. So I'll put that right up front. In Washington State, State Representative Tara Simmons, a Democrat, no kidding, who, by the way, she is a Democrat who did time for three felony convictions. Uh, those were for drugs and retail theft. Then she became a state lawmaker. Now, I suppose some of you might say, well, you know, Tara Simmons has to know her stuff. If anybody's going to rewrite the criminal laws of the state of Washington, how about an actual convicted criminal? although I bet she doesn't describe herself as a convicted criminal. But she introduced a bill called House Bill 2177. So just so you have it, House Bill 2177. And uh, her name is Representative Tara, that's T-A-R-R-A, Tara Simmons, a Democrat and convicted felon. So what does she want? She wants to, number one, change the name of the Sex Offender Policy Board uh, to the Sex Offense Policy Board, as though somehow this is a board that's looking at what policies we have towards sex offenders. No, the state legislature writes the policies towards sex offenders. So what is the Sex Offender Policy Board, its current name? What do they do? They take a look at sex offenders, and they decide what happens to these people when they're done serving their time, and when should they be set loose on the law-abiding community? Well, here's what she wants. Change the name of the board. She also wants to do this because one of the members of the current sex offender policy board is required to be somebody who is a victim of a sexual crime. Now, I think that makes all the sense in the world. 
that if you have somebody on the board who's actually been subject to one of these crimes, that brings a perspective that nobody else in the world can bring. So what is Tara Simmons, convicted uh, Democrat, convicted felon and Democrat? I guess it's, it's kind of repetitive, but convicted fe felon and Democrat. What does she want to do? She wants to add to the board, right sit, sitting right there on the board with the sex, vic, sex offender victim, she wants to add a real-life sex offender. And they're not talking about just the level one sex offenders. Those are the ones that are viewed as the least likely to go back out and do it again, what they call recidivism or offenders, although calling a rape an offense is kind of mild uh, as far as I'm concerned. So can you imagine if your sweetheart serves on a sex offender policy board and agrees while it's painful, I will go in there and I will help set policy for the state of Washington when it comes to sex offenders and when to cut them loose again on the community. And then your sweetheart finds out, oh, sorry about that. You're going to be sitting there on that board with a real live convicted rapist or sex offender. She wants to change that and allow level three felons on the sex offender board and will serve alongside victims of sex crimes. She also advocated, you know, that she says, I think we can all do better and have a diverse legislature. That's why I'm here. I guess she's speaking of her felony convictions. I'm proud to be here. I think I bring some lived experience. Boy, is that a liberal terminology. And while some people may have a stigma for people who've committed a sex offense, I think they have invaluable information to share that can really guide this board. Well, I'll tell you what, I would love to talk to Representative Simmons. We will extend an invitation to her. I'm not going to hold my breath. I don't think she's going to want to come on and talk about this. Coming up in a moment, the Northwest Nonsense, and you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. He may talk about serious issues, but even Lars has a sense of humor. I have a joke for you. The government in this town is excellent and uses your tax dollars efficiently. <laughs> this is the Lars Larson Show. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. 
This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. Let me start with a question. If you owned 8 million square feet of buildings, you'd put somebody hugely competent in charge of that multi-billion dollar investment, wouldn't you? And when forecasters gave you days of warnings about freezing weather, you'd expect them to take all the necessary precautions, right? Well, at Portland Public Schools, apparently not so very much. We know that snow and freezing rain shut down the schools most of last week. But now, a bunch of schools are closed because of burst pipes and other problems caused by the weather. Now, the average homeowner knows how to keep that from happening. Insulate the pipes, keep the heat on, and if you can't do that, strategically leave some taps running to prevent freezing. Portland Public Schools brags that it has 85 full-time maintenance employees on its staff in every single building specialty there is. HVAC, electrical, plumbing, and all that. And they can't keep the pipes from bursting? The Daily Dead Fish Wrapper puts it very charitably. Portland Public Schools appears to be an outlier among the larger metro area districts in being unable to complete repairs to its buildings last week. Translation, a lot of places where it got a lot colder didn't have this problem. PPS blames it on the age of its buildings, which, by the way, is 65 years, exactly the same average age as houses in the metro area. And yes, some homeowners suffered frozen pipes, although the vast majority did not. And by the way, Portland turned out to be one of the top places in the nation to have the power off. About a quarter of a million people had no power at one point. There were tens of thousands who had no power for days. And yet the vast majority of them did not have frozen pipes. But how many average homeowners have a full-time maintenance staff like PPS? What I'm guessing is... They don't exactly hire based on merit over at PPS. I'm thinking they go based on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our question of the day, Max writes in, Lars, why are people not demanding an end to gain-of-function research? Why isn't our elder statesman, Senator Ron Wyden, he's the senator from New York, by the way, bringing this up? Thanks, Max. Well, I don't know. understand that either. Because gain of function, as we've explained a thousand times on this show, is when scientists say we have a bug, usually a virus, and the virus does not infect humans, and it doesn't do any damage to humans. So let's come up with a version of this virus. We'll engineer it so that it can actually infect human beings and maybe even do damage to them. In fact, within the last couple of weeks, the Chinese communists have announced they have a version of COVID that's 100% fatal. What could possibly go wrong? And then this one. Do the folks who vote for Democrats know that those folks want to outlaw the very ga same natural gas devices that kept them warm over the last week? Coin TV reporting about one man who they say spent most of his time in his kitchen with a gas fireplace. We put up a wall at the door and stayed in there because it was the only place that wasn't 40 degrees. We we're fortunate to have gas fireplaces in the house that keep the great room warm enough to stay in the house. So. He saved his pipes, he stayed in his house, and uh, while not completely happy, he at least was warm enough. Now, do all those people understand that the Democrats they're sending to the state legislature, to the governor's mansion, and other places, including Congress, that they want to outlaw the gas devices that kept them warm over the last week? And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you coming?
Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. I want to give the grill of the day to all the regulators in government who make it difficult to go out and either trim trees or actually cut them down. Case in point, cited by our friends at Oregon Watchdog and Oregon Catalyst, trees fall and damage house months after neighbors say they asked the city for permits to cut them down. An arborist said he filed a permit to cut down the trees at a West Hills home in early 2023. He never heard back from the city. And guess what happened? The trees fell. And as Tina Uber says... I knew this tree was going to fall on my house for more than a year. Uber says she's been trying to get a group of five trees removed from her neighbor's yard, worrying they could damage her property. Her fears came true about a week ago on Saturday when three of those trees fell on her house. And why couldn't they cut down these dangerous trees? Because they didn't have the right piece of paper from the government. And then this from Nick as our best email of the day so far, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. Hey, Lars, as the power's been out due to all the down trees from the wind and the ice around the Portland metro, it turns out a lot of folks who had no way to keep their keep warm in their homes. My heart goes out to all those without power and heat, but at least they have clean air. You see, due to regulations passed in Multnomah County and the Oregon legislature, as well as an $80 million federal grant, when the power went out, you have no way to warm your yourself. In Oregon, old wood stoves and gas fireplace units had to be removed before a house could be sold. Thanks to that aforementioned federal grant, you could trade out your wood-burning stove or natural gas fireplace for a brand new electric heat pump. All new construction remodels, electric heat pumps. You want to keep your wood-burning fireplace? You did get a permit, right? Want to use that fireplace? Sorry, no can do. Unless it's your only source of heat or it's a period of extreme cold. Oh, and you want to warm yourself up with a natural gas fireplace? Fat chance. You need wood if you do have a wood-burning fireplace. You can only buy it from a locally sourced permitted supplier unless you'll be fined. So, all of you in the dark freezing cold, be sure to thank your county commissioners, lawmakers, and federal lawmakers. You elected them. Good news is the power should be back on soon. Until the next ice storm, enjoy your burnt wood particulate free air. Signed, Nick. To your calls. It's a Monday. It's the Radio Northwest Network. And let's go to, uh, let's go to Dave. Hey, Dave, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Oh, a couple of things. One is that Portland Public Schools, they yeah. just need to wrap, wrap their pipes like I did at my house. I didn't have any bursting pipes. That's why I suggested that, Dave. I mean, you think yeah. you've got a full time yeah. I mean, staff. Of 85 yeah. people, and you have a multi-billion dollar asset that you're protecting, and you're thinking when you right. get that forecast that freezing cold is coming in a few days, if you haven't wrapped them up to that point, don't you get busy and do it? Exactly. Yes. I have a, and, I have a wood stove, but the CO2 from wood burning is not counted by the IPCC because indigenous people eat their huts and cook with wood so we can't count that co2 unless of also, course your county commissioners decide that they don't like the particulates that come from your wood burning and in many places yeah. they've said if you want to sell your house and it has an old wood burning stove you remove it or replace it with one that's compliant if you can find such a thing well mine's compliant it has a stupid catalytic converter but it's not needed but also you know, if people think they need to, um, on the greenhouse gas page of our website, water vapor is a 90% greenhouse effect, 
CO2 is only 9% and methane is 0.3% in that order. Exactly right. Dave, thanks very much. But you're right. I wish somebody at Portland Public Schools would say, let's do an audit. Let's find out how many of those pipes broke because they could have been wrapped and weren't wrapped. And then you can go to the 85 full-time maintenance employees that the district employs and says, why didn't you bother to wrap the pipes? And if you couldn't do that, leave a tap running somewhere. You got the Lars Larson Show. vegan actually is they say cows are bad for the environment because all they do is eat plants and fart just like vegans this is the lars larson show welcome back to the lars larson show now i've got a disclosure to make i own guns i believe in owning guns uh i'm a partisan when it comes to the second amendment so when i hear about a bill that if passed will literally close virtually every single gun store in an entire state I've got to talk about it, and I want to get Dan Mitchell on, who's a friend of the show. He uh, runs Sporting Systems in Vancouver. He's a founder of the Washington Civil Rights Association. And, Dan, welcome to the program, by the way. Good afternoon. Happy to be here. Uh, I want to make it clear to people. I know people are going to say, well, you and Dan are overstating it when you say it's going to close, if not every single gun seller in the state of Washington it will be all but maybe one if if that one survives. Would you mind describing uh, not only the bill, uh, but, but what they're proposing to require of you, since you are a federal firearms licensee, an FFL, as it's known in the trade. Um, you're the person that if I want to buy a gun from you or from anyone else and have it transferred through you, you have to fill out the paperwork, you do the back, or you send in the background check, you confirm that I have the necessary ID, et cetera, et cetera and you take all the forms to have that license you have all these federal requirements but now the state of washington wants to add a brand new requirement that will put probably every gun store in washington state out of business now just so people don't think i'm overstating that what would it require of your business uh... Well, house bill twenty one eighteen the kill the ffl bill um, it passed out of subcommittee and, and is ready to go to the house floor to be voted on and then over to the senate but it it applies a, a a massive new set of regulations and compliance requirements that any FFL home based independent gunsmith uh, or big box store they all have to comply with some massive new regulations uh, that that cost tremendous amounts of money to comply with. Uh, big ones are audio and video storage retained for six years. Um, for us, that works out to be about 4,000 terabytes of data or four petabytes, um, which requires us basically to put in a small data center in our, in our, uh, in our shop. Um, you know, for example, uh, law enforcement, body cameras, they're required to retain those for 60 days and then destroy them if there's no incident on that footage. They're asking us to, to hold data for 2,190 days. Um, so massive costs associated with the infrastructure to support that, the technology required, uh, and it's a violation of the state's two-party consent law for recording audio uh, and video in a, in a public place. Um, also goes in violation of Washington State employment 
laws where you can't do audio and video recording of, of employees and things like that. So you'd uh, have to, would you have to get a, a, a sign-off from every person who walks into your store, just walks in? If I walked into Browse, I've been in your store before, if I walked in, you'd have to say, Mr. Larson, are you okay with us audio and video recording you while you're in the store before, I, you know, before I'd be allowed to enter, right? Correct. It, it has to be recorded on video that we announced it and that you accepted and gave consent for that recording of every person that enters the store. So now you mentioned that you have to buy fire safes. What, what, what do they mean by that? And what, what's the use of $200,000 worth of fire safes you'd have to buy for your relatively small store? Your store is uh, 2,500 square feet, basically a 60 by 40 store. Why do you have to buy $200,000 of fire safes? The bill would require that we keep all firearms and all records in fire safes during non-business hours. So, you know, we have over a thousand firearms in store. We would have to provide fire fire safes for each one of those uh, to be stored in overnight. And so that means every morning, every after, and every evening when we closed, we'd have to remove a thousand firearms from the, the sales floor put them into the fire safes uh, to keep them overnight. And then same thing with our records. We produce records by the pallet. And so our records that we have to retain for the life of our business, we'd be filling up a couple of fire safes every year from those documents. So we need the square footage to add, add to the space so that we can put these there. And then we also have to account for the labor and, and the wear and tear on the, on the product to move it in and out of uh, those storage facilities, those fire safes, each night. All right, so, so the cost, figured... the, first, the first year that House Bill 2118 goes into effect, uh, you're going to have to spend about how much to keep your 2,500-square-foot shop open? Our capital investment for year one compliance would be around seven to $800,000 plus an additional $350,000 a year of increased uh, overhead and expenses, new rent, utilities for the data center, um, hardening the, the space for where we have to put the data center and, and the safes and things like that. And basically, we go from a 2,500-square-foot shop to a 6,500-square-foot shop so that we can comply with all of these standards. All right. Now, the bottom line is you won't be able to do that. There's no way for a gun store to comply with that and pass the cost on to customers. So what's the likely outcome for you or anybody else who's a federal firearms licensee in Washington State? For us, it's find a new line of work. Uh, it's, it's simply we'd, we'd close our doors. We wouldn't make that kind of investment in a in a, in a industry that the state is trying to regulate into existence. We can't sell semi-automatic rifles. We can't sell these things. We can't sell those. They continue to dump more things on us. So we have a shrinking market. They've also got a one gun a month program uh, or bill proposed. So we shrink the market that much more. We would just close up and any home-based FFL would have to close. You, you can't put, you're not going to put cameras and, and microphones in your home and record them and then turn them over to the attorney general's office on a whim. There's, there's just no way, you know, the invasion of privacy there is, is insurmountable. This is, it's legislation by Xerox. They took a bill that passed in California, and they just ran it up here and said, we're going to run this, and the Democrats and the subcommittee don't care about any of it. They know what the costs are. 
That's exactly what they want. This is a bill to kill off the firearms industry in the state of Washington. Now, when you and said 99%, Dan, when you said 99%, could any firearms retailer survive? I mean, are there some that are big enough that they could survive these kind of requirements on, on say, a big box store like a Cabela's or a Sportsman's Warehouse? I believe they would all exit from the market voluntarily. The, the, the same way we would. The cost of compliance uh, is, is astronomical. They'd have to put bars across all the windows at Cabela's. On the outside, not on the inside, on the outside. Every exit has to have that. All the windows have to have that. Um, so they're, they're not going to do that. They're not going to move everything into, into safes every night, into fire safes every night. They don't have the square footage for that either. So they'll all, uh, they'll all end up shutting down. Well, and, and the other thing is you mentioned you could open up a store that was just a transfer store, say 200 square feet, and we're going we're gonna, to, when somebody wants to buy a gun, they'll buy it outside the state. It'll be transferred to an FFL. Is that even feasible? It's, it's about the only thing that I could think of where you could actually afford to do it, but you would just have to charge a ridiculous amount for the, uh, the transfers that are coming in because you're still going to end up with this, this ever-loading volume of documents and video uh, that's going to build up. So eventually you're going to have more and more safes with your documents, uh, even if you've only got maybe 50 firearms in 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 uh, process at a given time uh, it's possible but you really can't make a living doing that you, you no. can't afford and, to uh, to run a, build, a business like that and all the people who came to you would have to pay basically the cost of every cost of your shop even though you're not selling the guns anymore they're being sold by somebody else that's dan mitchell from sporting systems the bill is house bill 2118 it seeks to put out of business Every single gun seller, private or retailer in the entire state. Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson Show. You know this. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. At least someone has a plan for illegal aliens. Back in the White House, I will terminate every open borders policy of the Biden administration and begin the largest deportation operation in American history. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. And one little update. This just came down. There's been a question about whether or not Texas can put razor wire 
on its border with Mexico. And uh, Texas says, look, we have a right to protect our own state. They have passed laws saying you can't enter Texas from a foreign country unless you do it legally. And they've put up razor wire. And we've actually heard knuckleheads like Karine Jean-Pierre, the spokesperson for uh, uh, Joe Biden, say razor wire does not keep people out of the country. I don't know about you, but if I were on the other side of a razor wire barricade, uh, I wouldn't be tempted to try to crawl over it, under it, or go through it because razor wire is razor wire for a reason. It's very effective at stopping intrusion. Now, would I argue that it's 100% effective? No, I wouldn't. But guess what just came down from the U.S. Supreme Court? The U.S. Supreme Court was asked, does the state of Texas have the ability to put up razor wire? And if they put it up, does the Biden administration have the authority to order, believe it or not, our border patrol to cut the razor wire so that illegals can come into the country? And you say, well, that's crazy. Why would Joe Biden's, why would Joe Biden's Customs and Border Protection, why in the world would they cut the razor wire and let the illegal aliens into the country when it's the job of the Border Patrol to keep them out? Well, guess what? It was a five to four decision. And I'm willing to bet that John Roberts, who's been a disappointment since his first days on the court, I I've got to check. But yeah, it was Roberts. The three liberals on the court were judge uh, joined by Justices Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett. And what they decided, the Biden administration is allowed to remove razor wire installed by Texas on the border. The Biden administration is going to seize Shelby Park from Texas and remove any border fences that were installed. Shelby Park uh, is in Eagle Pass, Texas. It's been one of the key crossing points for illegal aliens. And now the U.S. Supreme Court with John Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett has now decided the Joe Biden administration which claims the border is under control, although just over the weekend, Joe Biden, he has too much helicopter noise for us to run the soundbite. But he literally said, oh, yeah, the border's out of control. I've known that for 10 years. So what was his first action coming into office? To encourage people to come across the border illegally. And now he's asked the Supreme Court, give me permission to cut the barricades that have been put up on the border by people in Texas, I think, legally and the U.S. Supreme Court has now decided that the Biden administration is allowed to remove the razor wire and let the illegals come in, continue to flow into this country at the current rate of 10 to 12,000 illegal aliens a day. That's how bad it is. And Joe Biden, while admitting that he has a problem on the border, is also saying, well, yeah, but you know what? We're, we're, we're going to fix it. This is this is how insane the situation has become. Just in the last few minutes, the U.S. Supreme Court sided with the Biden administration and said, you know what, you're allowed to take those barricades down and you're not allowed, uh, Texas is not allowed to string them along the Rio Grande. And uh, they struck down a lower court ruling that had barred federal border agents from cutting or moving state-owned razor wire, except to reach migrants who are in need of emergency medical assistance. Why? Because they tried to crawl through the razor wire. Now, get that. Texas National Guard has been used to block the Border Patrol from a two-and-a-half-mile stretch near Eagle Pass along the Rio Grande in a, um, an unprecedented state takeover of immigration enforcement from a federal government that refuses to enforce our border. 
Folks, these are the times we're in right now, where you've got a president of the United States who's decided to sign over the entire country to a mass, an invasion of illegal aliens that as of this month totals more than 10 million illegal aliens in less than three years, or in just about three years. Let's go to Bert. Bert, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Bert. Now, Bert, you gave up your opportunity. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Let me throw a couple of things in front of you. Number one, our poll on X, what we used to call the Twitter poll, do you support having a separate national anthem for black Americans? The NFL has now announced its pregame lineup will continue to include the so-called black national anthem. The actual name of the song is Lift Every Voice and Sing, because apparently the national anthem is not good enough. We've got to have a special national anthem just for black Americans. The poll on X asks you this. Do you support having a separate national anthem for black Americans? I would say no to that. You can answer any way you like. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, on First Amendment Friday's uh, X poll, should home backup electric generators be banned as Oregon Democrats attempted to do last year? They were unsuccessful, but they tried. They tried as hard as they could to ban average citizens from having backup power. Even though most of the elites, like Governor Tina Kotek, have backup power, 97% of you said no to a ban on backup electric generators. And I have a feeling those are going to be very, very popular as we have just gone through this ice storm. A lot of people found themselves without electricity for the better part of a week. Uh, many of them may not have natural gas because that's now being banned. And now the Democrats, I would expect them to try it one more time in this next session to say we shouldn't let citizens have electric power backup. Only the elites in government are entitled to such a thing. Glad to be with you on a Monday. Always glad to take your calls at 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. You ready for the big soap? Right. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. We'll do that in a moment, and you can go vote in our poll on X. You can find that on X at Lars Larson Show. Brand new poll question every day. My friend, the former district attorney, Josh Markey, and we've known, our, known each other for more than 40 years, He's really good because he can turn on a dime. I had planned to talk to him about the new Alec Baldwin indictment for involuntary manslaughter. But, Josh, if you wouldn't mind, within literally the last few minutes, we've learned that the U.S. Supreme Court has decided on a case involving the state of Texas trying to keep out the invasion of illegal aliens that Joe Biden has been inviting. Now, I'm a Donald I Trump partisan. Say. You're a Joe Biden guy. But let me ask you this. Yep. Let's talk. Let's talk legalities. This Constitution says that immigration law is to be enforced by the federal government. Does that mean that when the Texas legislature said, we're going to pass a law that says you can't come into our country as a foreign national unless you come in legally, is Texas allowed to have such a law? Generally not. I mean, states can do things, and obviously uh, border states in particular choose to enact, and, and, and Texas has done a lot of, and that's where the, this case, this case is actually about something very specific. Um, there was a, a, a border patrol, which works for the federal government, had torn down some uh, razor wire uh, that, the, that the Texas National Guard, and although the National Guard, they're, they're, they haven't been federalized, so they're still under the power of the Texas governor. And a lower court had said, well, the Border Patrol couldn't do this. In a split decision, not alone, uh, yes, the three liberals voted, but then... Um, Amy Coney uh, Barrett and John Roberts Amy joined Coney them. Amy Barrett, probably one of the most conservative members, um, voted to say, no, we'll vote with the federal government. I wouldn't take a great deal out of that. Um, there's, gonna, there's a lot of fighting, uh, obviously, in the border as to who... Who's going to exercise authority? And the fact of the matter is you have states like in, in Texas where the Texas does exercise the ultimate authority, however, is going to be whether you're a Democrat or Republican and a supporter of Biden or of, of, of Trump, it is going to be with the federal government. There are certain things that just are that have federal supremacy, things like treaty obligations and uh, things like that. Well, it's, but let me ask you, you know, I always tell my audience I'm not a lawyer. But but in this case, I understand that immigration itself has to be enforced by the federal government. You know, California can't decide, well, we want a lot of foreign, a bunch of foreign nationals come in. They can't do that on their own say-so. But can a state right. take actions when they realize their state is being overwhelmed by this invasion of illegal well, aliens? They, 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 well, hold they, on, they, let me finish the question, Josh. Once they've crossed that border and Border Patrol has said, yeah, you can go on into the country... Can Texas do anything about it? Because these illegal aliens are now in the state of Texas, and they're incredibly problematic. Well, yeah, they, they, they place enormous pressures on the, the social structure. We do not in the United States, for good reason, delineate when somebody says, I'm poor and I'm hungry and I need shelter or I need a job. We don't usually have, except for very few jobs, say, well, are you legally in the United States? So there's the whole problem of that. Let me give an example many of your listeners might be familiar with. Anyone who has driven south on I-5 out of Oregon into California has hit a roadblock. The Agri California Agricultural Department runs a roadblock on I-5 and stops all cars coming in and asks you if you have cares and stuff like that. It's not terribly invasive, but it is an example of the kind of authority a state can do. 
They can stop cars. They can prevent um, certain things coming into the state because it, it directly deals with the state of California, in this case, their agricultural industry. But the state of Texas could do similarly. What they can't do, at least under the current meaning of the Constitution, is basically say we're the, the federal government is doing inadequate border patrol, so we're going to take over that for them. They may be doing inadequate border patrol, but they can't take it over for them. So in other words, if a president decides we're just going to throw the border open, which he has, then the states well, are powerless, even though even though the Constitution gives the federal government the affirmative responsibility of safeguarding states from invasion. Am I correct? Yes, they, it, the, the, the federal government has a whole bunch of obligations to... You know, no, no, but just do, deal with that one specifically. Does the Constitution say it's the job of the federal government to defend all of the states against invasion? And could you qualify yes, yes. ten to yes. 12,000 fighting-age males a day coming into your through your no, state as an invasion? No, I don't think it's an invasion. I think it's, it's a, a real mess. And I think the federal government should do more about it, but it's not the same thing as giving the uh, the state of Texas the authority to do what the federal government in this case is not doing. Um, and and in fact, despite the Democrats' claim that the, that or many political Democrats' claim in Congress that they're for open borders, the fact of the matter is that even the Biden administration has put a lot of money into detention because we can't have open borders. That's crazy, and it would be, uh, it is economically devastating, not just for Texas, but for the whole United States. Economically and, and criminally devastating. Yeah, let me, yeah, let me jump, no, because we had talked about that, we had planned to talk to you about Alec Baldwin. I was glad to see him right. indicted. I think he committed manslaughter. Is this one likely to stick? Because he had the gun in his hand. They've now proved that the gun, the trigger had to be pulled, and a young lady, uh, Halia Hutchins uh, ended up dead. Should he be convicted yeah, and, and the, based the on those circumstances? Died. The director almost died. Yeah, it was really, really clumsy behavior by the newly elected district attorney uh, in, in Mexico who, who first appointed herself and then appointed someone who had already accepted a seat in the uh, New Mexico state legislature. You can't hold two offices in the United States. You can't be a, a deputy DA and a legislator. So Baldwin basically looked like for a while he was getting away with it. And what's even worse about that is they charged two other people. One was the armor, a young woman who is responsible for this, and the other is one of the the the, uh, the people involved in props. That man has already made a deal and pled guilty. So there was a possibility until this came out that Baldwin would skate entirely with no responsibility. So, yeah, I'm glad he's been indicted. Well, but do you think they can make it stick? Is this a legally I think winnable they can. case? I watched an interview on ABC with George Stephanopoulos. I mean, the kind of thing that as a lawyer, I would just want to crawl under a table if he was my client. He said, Baldwin, the actor, the producer said, I never pulled that trigger. I, I never pulled that trigger. That gun fired without me ever pulling the trigger. That's, that is literally impossible in physics, and there is film of him picking up the gun it's what's called a single action weapon meaning that you know you have to cock it yep. and then you have to depress the hammer yep. the trigger which in turn makes the hammer go down so it took you know there's going to be no question what he did he didn't do it intentionally or he'd be charged with murder no but but hold on one last question 
If you were his attorney, would you put him on the stand to defend himself in a case like this? Not after what I've seen of his behavior. I'd be ter- I, I would tell him to, uh, you know, hide behind the Fifth Amendment and, uh, and, and say that he's broken. Maybe he can go to prison. That's Josh Marquis, former district attorney. We'll be back in a moment. I'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LAW. That's 866-439-5277. You've got the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. A message from Lars. I'd like to apologize to anyone I've not offended yet. Please be patient. I'll get to you shortly. Who's next? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. Now, I think... There are certain things that happen that amount to a canary in the coal mine. And one of them has just happened in Oakland, California. And it has to do with a a place I've uh, had a sandwich at from time to time called In-N-Out Burger. In-N-Out Burger has been in Oakland, California for 18 years. And now it is pulling out. And why are they pulling out? They say that the uh, location they have in Oakland, California is still profitable. The problem is... It's so dangerous, not just for the customers of that burger chain, but for the people who work there, that In-N-Out Burger says they have no choice. They are leaving behind what has been a profitable location and still is a profitable location because they can't take the dangers that are presented by the crime, the increasing crime in Oakland, just like violent crime has increased in so many places in America. I'll get into the details of that in just a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's here every single day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. So if you disagree, you get to go first. If you'd rather send an email, it's talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our X poll. used to call it the Twitter poll. Now it's the X poll. And that has to do with an equally contentious matter. And that is, do you support having a separate national anthem for black Americans? The NFL has announced its pregame lineup for the... Super Bowl this year. The league got a lot of criticism over the years 
because they play the black national anthem. It's a song called Lift Every Voice and Sing, but is widely known as the black national anthem. It has been played at Super Bowls for years now, and it's had a bunch of controversy, and, and rightly so. There is one national anthem for America, the Star Spangled Banner, not, in, not Lift Every Voice and Sing. And do we need a separate national anthem for mainstream Americans, for black Americans, and soon perhaps for Hispanic Americans or other individual groups. The only people who benefit when we divide Americans up by skin color, by ethnicity, by gender, or any other way is politicians. Politicians get good results out of that. The rest of us do not. So, do I support having a separate national anthem for black Americans displayed at one of the biggest attended events in the country every year, the Super Bowl? No, I don't. And I'll vote against it. You can vote any way you like. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show on X. You'll also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Now, I've confessed to you my dog in the care and my dog in the fight because I actually like in and out Burger. I haven't been in one for a while, haven't been through the drive-through either. But In-N-Out Burger's only location in Oakland, California, is now closing because they could no longer handle the risk of workers and patrons because the city of Oakland has been absolutely beset by violent crime. So they will close in March. And the thing I really like to, to uh, emphasize here, they're making money at this location. In other words, it's the one thing that most retailers would like to be able to say, we operate a store there and we make a profit at the end of the week. Uh, they're going to stop. The chief operating officer, Denny War Warnick, says uh, they announced it over the weekend. He said, look, we've been there. He says, despite taking repeated steps to create safer conditions, our customers and our associates, that means the people who work at In-N-Out Burger, are regularly victimized by car break-ins, property damage, theft, and armed robberies. Uh, CBS of uh, San Francisco quotes these folks as saying, look, the location remains a busy and a profitable one for the company, but our top priority has to be the safety and well-being of our customers and associates. We can't ask them to visit or to work in an unsafe environment. Robberies have increased 38%, according to the Oakland PD, in just one year, from 2022 to 2023. Burglaries jumped 22%. Motor vehicle theft went up 44%. And they're giving the workers the chance to transfer to other stores. But in the meantime, that one's closing down. I would add that to the list that is now getting longer and longer all the time. We've seen Starbucks flee its home city, largely the city of Seattle, where Starbucks was founded. And they say, well, we're closing down a bunch of our outlets. Not all of them, but a lot of them. We've seen big retailers that have pulled out of town saying there's just too much crime going on here. So is this the canary in the coal mine, the one that indicates big cities are becoming so dangerous that even big retailers who are making money have decided we no longer want to do business there? That's a scary sign coming in this Biden economy. Now, to your calls. Let's go first to Ron. Hey, Ron, welcome to the program. You heard me talking about the Black National Anthem. I have never understood why any black Americans would want to set themselves into a separate group by saying, we don't we don't sing the Star Spangled Banner. We sing the Black National Anthem instead. Do you understand that? 
Well, I'll tell you where it all started from. Just like in and out leaving from that area, Berkeley, Oakland area. I was there. This, I mean, it, it just the Angela Davis Marxist mindsets. They want to grip like Maxine Waters or be like this in Betty Kennedy at $25,000 or $50,000 a speech. It's all about them. As long as they keep dividing and keep doing Woodrow Wilson's and LBJ's division of like FDR did. Thank God my foster fathers were Tuskegee Airmen that helped protect the people like Donald George Malak, the original Banner Brothers, or even Henry Yoshikai's brother that fallen Anzio. It's a divisive nature right out of the book of Marxism. It's meant to divide, to keep the grifters of both sides of the blue jackbutt party. You know what I'm saying. And I'm I do know what you're you. saying, but Ron, tell me this. Why aren't, why aren't influential black organizations that purport to say we represent people like Ron, why aren't they standing up saying we don't need a separate national anthem? We're, we're proud to be Americans. We're glad to sing the, the Star Spangled Banner and we don't need a separate song for us because separate but equal was an idea that went out a long, long time ago and for good reason. The reason they won't stand up, the LeBrons, the Dwayne Wades, the people, you would think Denzel. I mean, Candace Owen speaks against it. I do know that. I know that Thomas Sowell don't like it. I know the late Walter Williams was around. He wouldn't like it. But a lot of them, because of dumbing down of education through the LBJ plan of the Great Society since the, since the 70s, look at the results in the black communities. Look how we're separating now. Look how everything else. Going on to Harvard and the other Ivy League schools by by such trashy, profitable, all about me, selfish, godless people that chose to throw away their history and just think that they are above history, just like what the Marxists, going back to the Fabian socialists of the 1880s, has said and spoken. And that's all I have to say about it. But we need I, Jesus I, I, and God to save this country. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Ron, thank you very much. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and consider that. What are the signs going on in your neck of the woods where stores are leaving? And soon we're going to hear politicians saying, well, gosh, there's no place to fill your prescriptions. There's no place to buy your groceries. There's no place to buy your gasoline. And apparently some of them are very happy with the result. Drive the profit-making businesses away, drive the jobs away, and let America fall apart. That is Bidenomics. And you've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. And now, this musical message to anyone who wants to indoctrinate our school children. Hey, teacher, Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you with me and always glad to get to your calls. And I'll do that in just a moment. But I want to talk to Mark Davis, who's been a great friend of the program. He's president of a company called Data Productions. He's been working with voter data uh, for almost 30 years now. And he's been qualified and admitted to testify as an expert witness when it comes to voter data analytics and residency issues in court cases involving disputed elections five times over the last 20 years. 
And we talked to Mark last week about the resolution of a case. And I want Mark to explain all the details we couldn't get to then. Because, Mark, one of the most frequent challenges I get from callers to this show is they say, Lars, uh, the 2020 election was fine. There was nothing wrong with it. The votes were all legitimate. Uh, there might have been a mistake or two here and there, but nothing sizable at all. And that's been established in 60 different cases. And I always end up explaining that most of those cases were resolved by, um, you know, technicalities, meaning you don't have standing. You filed it too late. You filed it too early. Your case involving data out of one of the key states from the 2020 election, Georgia, uh, was, was different. And you were actually dragged into court weren't you yeah let me back up on something that you said a minute ago sure. i get very frustrated with that argument as well um the thing that i think is important to understand is that most vote fraud goes completely undetected what little of it is detected may get reported to the county or may not may get reported to the secretary of state or may not may get referred to the state election board or may not. The state election board may or may not refer it to the attorney general's office for prosecution, which is where many of those cases go to die. So to sit there and claim that evidence of vote fraud only results from convictions is a nonsense argument. It's like if I go deer hunting and I don't see a deer, can I conclude deer don't exist? <laughs> you know, if, if I don't see somebody cross the, the border illegally myself, if I don't lay eyes on it, can I sit here and claim that illegal immigration isn't happening? I mean, it's just, it's a nonsense argument. In all the cases that I've testified in, <clears throat> it's been my job most of the time to point out these issues and bring them to the attention of the attorney. And I've watched them subpoena these voters, bring them in, put them on the stand, question them under oath in an elections dispute, and I've watched these people, both voters and elections officials, admit to violations of the law under oath on the witness stand. I have yet to see the first one prosecuted. So when people drag that nonsense argument out to me, it just galls me. But anyway, on to what we were here to talk about. Yeah, let, let's talk um, about FF versus TTV and explain to my audience what that okay. is. All right, I need to sell a little background. Sure. Um, the 1993 National Voter Registration Act causes every state in this union to keep lots of trash on the voter rolls. And in 2020, when President Trump lost, I got curious and I started doing some of the same analysis that I do in some of these court cases. And I found that there were about 110,000 voters that had residency issues going into that election. Most of those voters did not attempt to vote unlawfully in the county they used to live in, but the data indicated that about 35,000 had. <clears throat> so Now, just so people understand that, so you live in Atlanta, you move to some town outside of Atlanta, you, you don't quickly update your voter registration, you have a residency issue. But most of, and that would describe a lot of those people who may have moved, didn't update their voter reg, but they didn't try to vote, so no issue, right? Am I understanding that right? Right. Yeah. So if we move jurisdictions, which in Georgia's case is a county or municipality, we have to re-register where we move to because our entire ballot is based on where we live. And so lying about your residency when you go to cast a ballot 
is a felony under state law, but it's also a violation of federal law in the Prohibited Act section of the Voting Rights Act. If you lie about your residency with a federal race on the ballot, it's a federal offense. And that's any federal race, including statewide races like president or U.S. Senate. A lot of people think, well, why should your county matter for voting for president? Well, that's not the only race on the ballot. So, anyway. Um, but when you say when, it's a federal offense, said, let's make it clear, Mark. It's a federal felony, isn't it? Uh, I'll isn't it a false swearing? To a lawyer, but okay. All right. Fair yeah, it, 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 anybody wants to look it up, just go to the Voting Rights Act and look for the Prohibited Act section. It's right there. I think it's paragraph C. Um, but anyway, it's, it's without question uh, a crime to lie to elections officials about where you live so that you can obtain a ballot under false pretenses. And what the data indicated is that we had a lot of that going on in the general election. So I turned that data over to the Trump attorneys, and then I turned my attention to the upcoming Senate runoff, because if you remember... Control of the U.S. Senate was at stake. Yep. And there was a lot of chatter going on about Democrats trying to get folks that didn't really live here to come vote. A lot of it was just said in jest or mocking or what have you. But um, I was very genuinely concerned about residency issues, and so was True the Vote. And unbeknownst to us, uh, me and a former FBI agent teamed up, and we started working on challenges, and then True the Vote came to town, and they had already been working on challenges, and they had come, come into town to meet with their Secretary of State to talk about them. And Derek had dinner with them that night. I met them the next day. But it was really two separate sets of challenges. Ours was focused on people that had arguably already cast a ballot in the general election with residency issues. True the Votes was a much larger, broader challenge. But... They named us in a press release, and Fair Fight decided to sue everybody in the press release. So Fair Fight is Stacey Abrams' uh, election group, right? Yeah, and the lawsuit came to us from Mark Elias and showed up on our doors on Christmas Eve. Wonderful Christmas present from the Democrats. No doubt. But anyway, so um, they had alleged, they compared us to the Klan. They had alleged that we were targeting black and brown people. They had claimed that we were engaged in voter intimidation. And the problem with all that, those arguments were nonsense. We did not discriminate in any way. If the data indicated somebody had a residency issue, then they stayed on the challenge list. We didn't care what their race was, what their political affiliation was. We didn't care about anything but what was right and what was wrong. And there was no demographic targeting. Nobody talked to a single one of these voters. In court, they couldn't point out any of the defendants or co-defendants. Um, all they knew was the name True the Vote. Didn't even know who we were. Never met us. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And Mark, i got to warn you, end, we're, close to, we're, we're close to the break. We've got a little less than a minute left. What was the end result okay. of the court? The end result was we had an Obama-appointed judge that handed down a 100% fair ruling. I didn't, I didn't agree with everything he said in it, but I cannot argue with his fair-mindedness or his fidelity to the law. There was no evidence that they presented 
that there was any voter intimidation. And I think it's important for people to know this because almost every state has challenged statutes. So people should be encouraged by this verdict because if you feel the need to file a challenge in your own state, look up your state's challenge statutes, get familiar with it, and get familiar with the grounds for filing challenges. Do look for these residency issues. And they are there. Mark Davis from Data Productions, who won his case when he was challenged, saying, you're a racist member of the Klan. Now we're just working on whether or not the votes were legal or not. Back in a moment, you got the Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. People always ask Lars if he wants to run for public office, like president. Do you know how much power I'd have to give up to be president? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Monday and live on the Radio Northwest Network. Now 24 years in serving the Pacific Northwest states, Idaho, Washington, and Oregon. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's always right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866 Three nine five two seven seven. If you happen to be uh, a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line because we want to hear you first. And you just have to come prepared with your argument and a willingness to answer a few questions from me. Our poll on X today, do you support having a separate national anthem for black Americans? I do not. You can find the details there and vote on it. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com on Friday. On last First Amendment Friday, I asked you, should home backup electric generators be banned as Oregon Democrats tried to do last year? They wanted to ban not just backpack blowers and string trimmers and chainsaws. They wanted to ban backup power. Now, having gone through a massive power outage in the last couple of weeks because of weather throughout the region, would you like to let the Democrats ban you from having electric power backup for your home? I would say no, and so did 97% of you. Only 3% of you said yes. There is something that I've wanted to bring up for a while, for the last uh, week or so. I didn't get it done last week, and I'll admit that. But Tina Kotek, the governor of Oregon, is proposing half a billion dollars because she wants to say, she says, we have to have more home construction uh, in Oregon. Now, I think the same thing is true in Washington state as well. The problem is 
her method for approaching that is to say, we want to have more building done, but we want the government to guide it. And so they have a half a billion dollars set aside instead of encouraging and incentivizing the private sector to do what it does naturally very, very well. She wants instead to be involved in it. I think that is absolutely crazy. Second crazy thing that I want to bring to your attention, and that is they're going to try another experiment. And this has to do with people who overdose on opioids. So opioids include fentanyl, it includes uh, heroin, it includes hard drugs like that. Now, they already give people Narcan, which can help temporarily revive somebody from an overdose. But now what they want to do is give the person who's overdosed another dose of opiates, not heroin in this case, but what's known as Suboxone. Now, Suboxone is used in treatment. And it can do a lot to relieve some of the cravings, what you might call jonesing, when somebody who's addicted to an opioid like heroin or fentanyl, if you give them Suboxone, it'll take away a lot of the cravings. It doesn't give you the high back. Now, consider this. They're going to spend $400,000 and try this as an experiment, saying if we revive somebody from an overdose and then we give them suboxone so that they won't have the intense cravings and feel the sickness that you get when your body is craving this opioid but you don't have it anymore because the narcan pretty well uh, wipes out um the uh, the the high that you got from the drugs that just about killed you uh buprenorphine i think is the chemical name but is known as suboxone well, guess what? They're going to try an experiment that's already been done. Two years ago in Camden, New Jersey, they gave emergency first responders Suboxone so that they could give it to the people who had overdosed. Those people were six times more likely to engage in opioid use disorder treatment, they said, within 30 days. That's what they hoped. The problem was that's not the way it worked out. They said the Suboxone-equipped ambulances did not significantly decrease repeat overdoses either in the immediate 24 hours or seven days. Now, I know that most of us, and I've never been addicted to heroin, I've never taken heroin. But for those people who are on heroin, here's the concern. You take heroin and you take enough of it that it overdoses you, and the only thing that keeps you from dying is that they put enough Narcan in you to get rid of the overdose, and it only does it temporarily. Then they give you Suboxone to try to take away the cravings. And unless you're willing to check into treatment right then, what usually happens? Well, the person leaves either the scene where the emergency responders saved your life or from the hospital emergency room, if that's where you ended up. The first thing you're looking for, because the Narcan took away your high, what do you suppose that addict is looking for next? He or she is looking for a new high, meaning more opioids. So in Camden, New Jersey, when they tried this out, they said, we think we're going to get more people into treatment. As they wrote in the study, the Suboxone-equipped ambulances did not significantly decrease overdoses either in the immediate 24 hours following the first overdose or over seven days. Expanded out-of-hospital treatment for opioid use disorder is a promising model for rapid access to Suboxone after an overdose. So they give you this hoping if they take away the cravings, you won't go out looking for another high. 
But does it actually do that? It doesn't appear to actually do that. But they're going to spend $400,000 of the taxpayers' money on it just to try it one more time. This segment of the show is brought to you by Nick Shivers. Go to nickshivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles, and you pick the closing date. nickshivers.com for details. It's a pleasure to be with you on the Radio Northwest Network. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at larslarson.com and check out our Instagram feed and tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today. Today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated. But the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Quiet, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going. Kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, through the pandemic, we became familiar with some brand new terms of art. And one of them was remote learning. Now, if we'd said remote learning about five years ago, people would have said, what the heck is that? But what we have come to understand is that remote learning is when you have online instruction, and in this case, in public schools. So, before the pandemic, not as much ability to do that. The pandemic, at least in theory, taught public schools how to do online learning or remote learning, if you'd rather call it that. So, you might think that when a region hits a, a an emergency like the weather emergency of the last couple of weeks, that they might say, well, if we anticipate that we know that schools are going to be shut down because of snow and ice and transportation difficulties, why don't we just quickly shift over to remote learning? We know how to get it done. Did the public schools do that to any great extent? The answer is they did not. And I got an interesting perspective on that from Jason Tyndall, who is superintendent of Kingsway Christian Schools in Vancouver. Jason, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you wrote a piece about this because you were bemoaning the fact that the private schools, at least yours, knows how to get, a, get about this and pivot quickly. But the public schools seem not to have learned much of anything. Am I, am I overstating that? Well, I, w I don't. I'm not sure that I would take that approach as far as overstating it. I just know that what we did was uh, what we learned 
to do during the COVID-19 pandemic, and that is students don't have to choose between safety and learning. Students can just learn remotely. And and you said the key word earlier. You said anticipate. I think I think that's the key. If you can anticipate what's about to happen, whether it's happening tomorrow or whether it's happening in four weeks, then you can put a plan together so kids can t- continue to learn, uh, whether it be remote learning or whether it be uh, what some people call distance learning. They can they learning can still happen even in the midst of inclement weather. Well, and the thing about the anticipation, Jason, when, when I, I went to public schools, I didn't go to private schools, and when I went to high school in Tillamook, they literally built five what they called flood days into the school calendar every year. They anticipated that there would be flooding, that it would shut schools down, and usually it was right around five days. Some years it was two, some years it was seven, but they knew that it was likely to happen. They couldn't know exactly when, but a school district like that could say, we know it's going to happen. When it does, we go right to distance learning or remote learning, except that what I saw in the last week or so was the schools say, yeah, we're going to post your lessons online. You can download them if you want to, uh, but otherwise we're, uh, you know, you know, uh, we're not going to have any online real-time instruction, which means I think the public schools failed kids miserably when they certainly had enough warning of what was coming at them in the case of the storms. Yeah, and I, I think it comes down to, to accountability. Some schools choose to hold their students accountable, and some schools may not for, I don't know all the reasons why they do or why they don't. But, you know, at, at Kingsway, and I know other schools have pivoted the same way we have uh, that are private schools, where they just decided that, look, learning can continue. And if learning can continue, then why wouldn't we hold students accountable? And then, of course, teachers have grace for those students who may not have access uh, to a Chromebook or may not have access to Internet connection or may have forgotten their books in their locker. Hey, we all have kids. We know our kids forget stuff in the locker room sometimes. So the kids who do have the right supplies, which is most of them, the kids who do have the opportunity to get online in their in their home computer or their, their devices of some sort, then we are going to require instruction. And then also we're going to hold accountability uh, to the process so students can continue to learn. And we've just found that, uh, you know, kids in general, not just in the private school system, but kids in general, families uh, love that value and excellence that you provide when learning can continue to happen in spite of a, uh, uh, you know, uh, an emergency or inclement weather. Well, and I'll tell you this, the other issue I wanted to bring into this is strikes. I don't imagine the Kingsway Christian schools are as beset by strikes as the public schools seem to be every couple of years. But when you know a strike is coming up or there's a possibility of a strike, you could say, well, uh, we're going to go ahead and continue the education. If the teachers decide to, you know, basically uh, default on the kids, and not supply what they're supposed to supply because they routinely end up getting paid for the time they were on strike. Say, we're going to continue the education while the kids are gone, and uh, we may do it without the teachers, but we're going to get it done. And the other thing, you mentioned the technology. During the most recent strike in the Portland Public Schools, the, the labor union that represents the teachers literally said to parents, don't pick up the offered Chromebooks for your kids because that will undercut what we're doing. It'll hurt our strike, which I think is is just, as far as I'm concerned, the unions were acting in an evil way, saying we want your kids to be denied, because when they're denied, there's more urgency to settle up and give us what we want, which I think is an entirely selfish point of view. But when you mention the technology, 
if you design the lessons the right way, I do some meetings by Zoom. I don't do as many as some people do, but I can do it from my desktop computer. I can do it from my phone. I can do it from an iPad. In other words, do you think there are very many kids at all uh, in, in, in your population of students whose parent, even if they don't have a Chromebook or a desktop or anything like that, they have a device that they could use to watch a lecture, to listen to a lecture, and to complete some of their assignments, even if it's just a smartphone. Yeah, typically uh, in our in our uh, you know network of families, uh, it, that doesn't seem to be an issue. Um, I, I think more and more that doesn't seem to be an issue across across the gamut. Uh, most people can find. Uh, the technology they need to get the instruction piece down for uh, from their schools, and it's not even live. I mean, there are there are so many things now that COVID nineteen taught us uh, by way of learning from a distance. That man, you could you could record a lesson, you can send out links. You, there are so many different things, and I think sometimes sometimes folks get in their mind that well, you have to stick with with the very next step in your lesson. Well. That's sometimes that might be unfair for faculty, you know, because faculty are also in the midst of inclement weather and they're also uh, battling with things that they have or don't have. But you can plan ahead and, and have lessons prepared, pre pre prepared lessons that hey, uh, we uh, on a dime we pivot and we go right into this learning. And it I mean, may because be, a, it may a, be. A, a teacher who's teaching, say, uh, you know, history. Uh, for example, could say, I'm going to give you 15 minutes on the part of history we plan to cover, and then I'd like you to read these yeah. two chapters, and then take the little yeah. quiz at the end. The rest of it's online, and the teacher gives you 15 or 20 minutes on the subject to prep them for the reading, and then they do the reading, they take the quiz, and, and they're still learning something. That's the way it works, right? Absolutely. And you, you could actually have, there's there's just probably more opportunities uh, in remote learning to be creative than than even in a classroom where you have four walls and desk and, you know, a class full of kids. Absolutely. That's Jason Tyndall, who's superintendent of Kingsway Christian Schools in Vancouver. Might be worth asking your local school board. Go to them and say, when the weather shut the physical schools down, is there any good reason we didn't pivot to remote learning? Or were the teachers just saying, another day off with pay, no problem with me? Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Donald Trump 
with a warning to Hamas at the Republican Jewish Coalition Conference. If you spill a drop of American blood, we will spill a gallon of yours. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. So Joe Biden is now willing to admit that America's southern border is bust. And he says he's known that for the better part of a decade. And then he turns around and blames Republicans for the problems that he's having on our southern border. I mean, if you thought that Joe Biden had exhausted his ability to go out and gaslight Americans, oh, no. He is just getting started. Let me give the details in a moment. First, if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, you'll go right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our X poll. You used to call it the Twitter poll. Now it's the poll on X. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. So, what do we know about Joe Biden? And then I'll get to the Supreme Court's decision today, which is absolute insanity. So, of course, the chief justice has joined on the losing, or actually on the winning side of that vote, but on the losing side for Americans. But consider this, the soundbite that I could have played for you of Joe Biden actually saying this is buried in so much helicopter background noise that uh, it's just not listenable at all. But he was asked by a reporter whether or not the border was secure. Now, Joe Biden is not answering a lot of questions from reporters. Uh, I think his last press conference was months ago. He very rarely does sit-down interviews. Why? Because he sounds like an idiot when he sits down and answers interview questions. So, of course, he doesn't. Donald Trump, on the other hand, available all day long and twice on Sunday, regularly gives long, long speeches. One I listened to the other day was an hour and 45 minutes long. He was cogent all the way through. Joe Biden has a tough time sounding cogent for more than about 10 seconds. But this reporter actually asked him, is the border secure? And we know what we're talking about there. We're talking primarily about America's southern border with Mexico, not our northern border with Canada. But the reporter says, so, Mr. President, is the border secure? And here's the quote. As I said, I would, I'd play the soundbite for you, but it's just, it's really difficult to hear him. You can make out his words, but he's buried in a lot of airplane and jet noise or helicopter noise behind him. Quote, no, it's not secure. I haven't believed that for the last 10 years, and I've said it for the last 10 years. Give me the money. Now, I have a feeling that give me the money is something the Biden administration says all the time because the Biden crime family has made lots and lots of money that way. But what Joe Biden is saying is, well, if I just had the money, I could secure the border. Except the last time, last fall, that Joe Biden actually made a request to Congress, the request they're still considering I need this package of money. Some goes to Israel, some goes to Ukraine, and some of it goes to America's border, about $14 billion of it. Except he's already said that if he gets the money, do you know what he's going to do with it? He's going to tell the Border Patrol, make people come across the border faster and process them into America, which actually is fulfilling of a campaign promise. Now, I'll cite our friend Miranda Devine, who writes a great column for the New York Post, but she said that during the 2020 presidential campaign, here was the quoted promise from Joe Biden. He spelled out his plans during the 2020 campaign, quote, what I would do as president is immediately surge to the border 
all of those people who are seeking asylum. And if you say, hold on, this is crazy. The president is saying he's campaigning to be president, promising he will have a surge to the border. He said this in 2020. I don't think anybody during that election year could have imagined that what Joe Biden had in mind was three years and 10 million illegal aliens entering America. And the current rate at which they are entering America is 10 to 12,000 people a day. Now, back during Obama, Jay Johnson, the head of Homeland Security, actually said that if his staff told him they had had a thousand people crossing the border illegally for a few days, he considered that a crisis, 1,000 per day. But today we have 10 to 12,000 per day. It's a, a Barack Obama border crisis times 10. And yet somehow Joe Biden says, well, I'm going to make sure we have a surge of people across that border. And the surge, by the way, is going to get worse because earlier today, the U.S. Supreme Court was asked this simple question. Does Texas have the right to put razor wire on the border, the U.S.-Mexico border, in order to keep illegal aliens from invading Texas? And the Supreme Court, with John Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett and the three usual nitwits on the court, voted five to four to say, no, Texas cannot put it on the border, cannot put razor wire up. And if there is razor wire there, the federal government, the Border Patrol, at the request of the Biden administration, has permission to cut all of that razor wire so that it'll be even easier for illegal aliens to come in. Now, I rarely get a naysayer on this, but Dan is a naysayer. Hey, Dan, welcome to the program. We love naysayers on this program, so welcome to the program. But what do you and I disagree about when it comes to the border and Joe Biden? Well, your claim that it's a new issue and Joe Biden's the only one responsible for it. Did I say that? Did I say that, Dan? Because I did. Is Joe Biden the first president or were Republicans president before him? Yes. Okay, so did Donald Trump do anything about the border? Yes. Okay, so if Donald Trump took action on the border, doesn't that mean that a Republican is just as responsible for any failures about the border? No. And let me, do you want to hear why or just one of the answers? Because I like giving answers first, explanation second. Donald Trump like achieved, Donald Trump achieved the lowest number of illegal aliens entering America in recent history, in the last couple of decades. So Obama let a lot in, Clinton let a lot in, George W. Bush let a lot in. Can I stop um, you there? But, what's that? Go ahead. Can I stop you there? Um, didn't Trump say something about Mexico paying for a 2,000-mile-long border wall? He did. Why didn't that happen? Why didn't it that didn't happen? happen because, as Trump explained in a speech about uh, 10 days ago, there was no it legal mechanism. Can I finish? There was no legal yeah. mechanism to make Mexico play, pay. However, what he, did oh. get what he did get from Mexico was when he said to Mexico, you can give us troops to help secure that border. <laughs> And Mexico said okay, no. And he's hold on, hold on, hold on. And and so he hey, said to Mexico, if you don't give us troops to defend our border to help stop this, I will put a twenty five percent tariff on everything that comes in from Mexico. At that point, Mexico said, Ooh, We will good. give you twenty we will. I know why you don't want me to say this, Dan, because you don't want people to I'm hear. I'm letting it. you say it, Lars, and you're well. No, no, you're not letting me say it. I'm letting you back on when I decide to. Twenty-eight thousand troops offered up by Mexico. So, Dan, I get to ask you a question now: Is the border secure today? 
No. Okay. And is, have we hit, hold on, years, I, I get to go to a second question, Dan. Joe okay. Biden has had 10 million people cross the border in three years. It is the highest number of illegal border crossings in America history, bar none. Is that good for America? Dan. I don't really know if it's good or bad for America, but can I ask you something? Do it quick, because we're close to the break. Yeah, I know. You want to cut this call quick. So, Mexico never paid us for a wall. Donald Trump said he was going to put a tariff on Mexican goods. Now, I know Donald Trump doesn't know how wet magnets work. He thinks that a wet magnet Sorry doesn't. Sorry about that, but we ran out with. of time. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Solid advice from Senator John Kennedy. Look, if you hate cops just because of cops, the next time you get in trouble, call it cracking. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I will have to admit to you that it has been years since I overdrafted a check. But when it has happened to me, believe me, I'm as irritated as anybody is when you get the uh, 40 or $50 fee that you get for writing a check for more money than you have in your bank account. In fact, in most places, it's actually a criminal offense to knowingly overdraft. Most people do it unknowingly. But would limiting overdraft fees end up costing consumers in the long run? That is what is being proposed right now. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which I happen to believe is an unconstitutional agency because it was created by the Congress but doesn't exactly answer the Congress, proposes to amend a bunch of regulations, including regulations E and Z. Believe me, I'm not enough of a lawyer or an expert to know what those are, to update exceptions for overdraft credit provided by very large financial institutions saying that the extension of overdraft credit has to adhere to consumer protections. They want to limit the amount the bank can charge you for having an overdraft. Now, on its face, I know a lot of people would say, well, that sounds like a great idea because you remember the last time you overdrafted and what it cost you. So I thought we'd go to our friend John Berlau, who's a senior fellow and director of financial policy at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. John, Good to have you back, and uh, and glad to have your expertise. Uh, good to be back, uh, Lars. Always good to be always good to be on your show and talk about what we're doing at Competitive Enterprise Institute, CEI.org. Well, and and by the way, so I, I don't know what the current average overdraft fee is. I usually figure it's around fifty dollars. It's a punishing fee if you happen to overdraft a check. And this proposal from CFPB sounds like they want to limit it down to maybe a couple of dollars. Does that make sense long-term for consumers? No, it, it really doesn't. I mean, it's the fee is punishing, but it, it, like you alluded to, it used to be people would, except for favored company, uh, customers, generally get punished, including the threat of criminal you know, prosecution for going over their checking account, writing un, even unknowingly writing uh, bad checks. And this, the, auto, the way the system was automated meant that, you know, it saved people from any, from either both criminal prosecution and uh, or an inconvenience and embarrassment like people you know having to take things back at a grocery store line um, and uh, and also um, uh, just you know not having you know, people having people see see it uh, uh, rejected and uh, the interesting thing is also since 2010 
uh, customers at banks have had to opt into it. So, if, you know, if you don't like it, people who don't like it when they're hit, they can always opt out of it. But a lot of people are are choosing to, to do this, you know, having this just as a service uh, just in case. And if this were eliminated, also just other uh, either um, – uh, uh, you know some of the uh, some of the benefits, some of the interest rates banks pay, or other fees might would have to be risen for uh, uh, particularly for community banks and credit unions. So, in other words, if somebody goes in and sets up a bank account and they say, "Do you want to have uh, overdraft protection?" and you say, "Okay, I'd like to have that." Well, if you overdraft a check, it's going to cost you fifty or sixty bucks. Well, I don't want that. And they say, oh, okay, then we'll just tell the person you wrote the check to that you wrote a bad check and deny the check altogether. That's the alternative, isn't it? I mean, that basically is. I mean, people, home eco, uh, they should, you know, have, you know, maybe like you and I were going up home economics course where, you know, people learn, you know, sort of how to balance their uh, their checkbooks. But, I mean, this has been providing a providing a convenience. It's a convenient fee. At the same time, it's, you know, it is meant to be punitive, so you don't you don't do it again. And it means that you know banks can you know um, uh, uh, don't have to charge as much for some of the other uh, services like you know low balance fees, um, other things. If uh, community banks and you know uh, small credit unions warned, they would have to you know charge consumers more for other things or or lower interest rates or other things if if, if this if this were eliminated. And I mean, talk about I mean the really I think uh, when we talk about you know punishing fees or junk fees, Biden notices doing nothing about, say, IRS penalties where if you're a day late on your uh, taxes, you might have to pay 25% of what you owe. So they're very selective in what they look at as far as junk fees. Well, in fact, think about that. Say you owed the IRS $1,000 and you say, I got the check in one day late. How much can that be? Oh, $250. that's, That's an insane level of fee, but that's the government doing it. So they seem to see that as different than the bank saying, keep an eye on your checking account. If you write a check that's bigger than what you have in there, we'll cover the check, but it's going to cost you 50 bucks. Plus you have to make up the money that you wrote that, that you didn't have. It's, 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 and because it's 50 or 60 bucks, it tends to get people's attention. If they lower it to three bucks, do you have any doubt in your mind that an awful lot of people who are so inclined will just say, oh, I'll just overdraft the fee. The fee is nothing. So it's yes, three it's, bucks. It's I'll, very I'll, similar I'll to, an, to another um, another rule the CFPB has proposed as far as like being, you know, late fees, saying you can't charge more than $8 on late fees of the credit card. I don't know where they get this, but basically they're saying you can't make, you know, you can't make a profit or in some cases being, being below cost. So yeah, that would encourage that kind of, that kind of behavior. And if, and I mean, people, some people are doing this, you know, sort of as a, as a loan and that's, and that's their prerogative, but we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't, you know, favor them at the expense of, you know, people who most of the time, I mean, do, do balance their checkbooks. Well, and I'm guessing, John, that the, the economics of it are, that if there are people who are then incentivized to write bad checks, so it's Friday night, uh, your paycheck doesn't come till Monday or Tuesday, and you figure, I need some money to either get groceries or go out with my friends on Friday night, so you write an overdraft check for $100, and you do it knowingly. You know you don't have $100. I mean, a dollar or two might be understandable, but 
you've overdrafted by $100. And you say, yeah, and I'll have to pay 3 bucks to get $100 on Friday night, and then I hope I make it to the bank in time on Monday or have the electronic deposit in time on Monday or Tuesday. But even if I don't, I'm only out 3 bucks. It, it seems like it's going to invite that. And if it ends up costing the bank money, Who's going to end up paying? It's all the other customers who don't overdraft, isn't it's it? Banks, like with late payment fees, like with things like interchange fees for what they charge retailers for credit cards. I mean, you you know you lose things like you know in in the case of credit card credit card rewards, um, uh, uh, and in this case, you know uh, other fees, including like balance fees, just just might be higher. Everyone overall, or you would receive you know less of. Uh, less of something like an interest payment. And banks do compete on, you know, what they will charge for overdraft. So I would, you know, tell all your listeners to shop around as far as banks and uh, and credit unions because not all of them charge, you know, like, like 50 bucks. Some of them, you know, will spell out what they'll charge, and it may be like 30 or 20 bucks, or it may be you would get a certain amount of for, uh, forgiveness. But the but to eliminate this uh, entirely or to put these sharp restrictions, the uh, – Smaller credit unions and community banks have warned that this would really hit them because unlike the big banks, the Wall Street banks, they don't really have, you know, others, other sources of revenue as far as like with high-flying loans and uh, or derivatives or things like that. Hey, John, tell me this. I already said I think CFPB is an unconstitutional agency. Now, whether you agree with that or not, can they push this thing through without even going to the people's representatives on Capitol Hill? Unfortunately, now they can until the Supreme Court settles this, and uh, which they should by the by the summer. But the, the, some of the good news is the Fifth Circuit has found that this funding mechanism, in which they get, they get funding from the Federal Reserve, bypassing Congress, and even the Fed has no say. The Fifth Circuit has enjoined some of the things that that the CFPB could do, so people could before before the Supreme Court ruling challenge this and say that the Supreme the, the CFPB lacks authority, and I would encourage you know banks and uh, credit unions and consumers if they can if they're concerned about this to uh, to do this, maybe join in t- uh, such a suit. But yes, it really is. It's a uh, it's also I mean they don't have the feedback you know, on rules like these. No, because they don't have to listen to the people at all. They're just a crazy government agency that can do what it likes with almost no oversight from us or the Congress. John Berlau at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. CEI.org. Back in a moment. You got the Lawrence Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. 
Another strong take from President Biden on AI and the weather. Helping web tech, the web, web, the web telescope. My God, what is this? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Monday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and it's my pleasure to be with you. And glad to see that most of the snow and the ice and all that stuff is gone. Glad to take your phone calls and emails. Our ex-poll today. Do you support having a separate national anthem for black Americans? The NFL insists on playing not just the American national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, but also what is known as the black national anthem, lift every voice and sing. I think there is no need for that. And in fact, I think it suggests, if it suggests that black Americans are somehow so different that you have to have a separate national anthem just for black Americans and then the other national anthem for everyone else. I think that's insulting, not just to the United States and everybody else in the country, but to black Americans as well. Black Americans are Americans just like any other American. Today's poll on X is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, we always go to naysayers first. Bill is just such a naysayer from the Tri-Cities, listening on KONA, one of our great Radio Northwest affiliates. Bill, welcome to the program. What do you and I disagree about today? Hi, Lars. Thanks for having me. Hey, listen, I never thought I'd have to say I have a disagreement. But last Friday, towards the end of the program, you had a person on there that was wanting you to put everybody in the military. And you made a comment that you have to be an American citizen in order to go in the military. Or a green card holder. It always goes with that. Every time I say it, I say an American citizen or a green card holder. Okay. Well, I have no problem with that either. However... I wasn't either one. December of 69, I'm a Canadian, and I enlisted into the Army after my dad died, and they took me. And I never had a green card. My parents bought me here probably 1954, I'm guessing, across from Canada. Did they ever ask what your citizenship was? I don't remember. Heck, that's been 54 years ago now. I understand. Well, the reason I say that, Bill, is... What it says today, because I made sure that, I mean, when I say so, I mean, there are times I make mistakes for sure. But today, what Immigration and Naturalization Services says is to join the U.S. military, non-citizens must be living permanently and legally in the United States. Non-citizens must also have permission to work in the United States and possess an I-551, which is the permanent residence card, and have obtained a high school diploma and speak English. And I tried to check and see if there's any record of whether the rules were different in the 60s. There doesn't appear to be any indication they were that the U.S. military, all the branches, have said do you only get to be in the military if you're a U.S. citizen or a foreign national legally residing in the United States? Now, maybe you were covered under your parents, but when you turned 18, you had to naturalize. You had to naturalize if you're a no, citizen no, today. No, my, my parents are both Canadians. They brought yep. me here and them illegally. But uh, anyways, they, my DD-214 says that I was born in Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. And there's a box number seven next to it says U.S. citizen. No. And, it, and it's checked in that box with an X wow. saying no. But I don't know if it was because of the Vietnam War or Probably. what. But they happily took me. Um, but didn't add insult to injury of any of that. I tried to sign up for Social Security. I'm not entitled because I'm not a citizen. Right. 
after living here all my life and paying into it forever. Except you decided to never legalize your status, didn't you? Well, they never said anything to me when I got out of the military, and I never thought much of it because I had a Social Security number and I was working. A uh, contractor my dad worked for put me in the Operating Engineers Union. Well, you just died. said something interesting. You had a Social Security number that was issued to a non-citizen? Yep. The only, the only non-citizens I know of, hold on, the only non-citizens I know of who have a Social Security number are people with a green card. They get they get a social security number, and then if after five years they decide to take the test, they they can become citizens. Yeah, no, this was real easy. All I did was go down to the post office and get a social security application, and put my name on it, send it in, and they sent me a card. Did you mark that you were not a citizen? I don't know what it said on it. To be honest, yeah. I don't remember. I don't either. Um, but, parents, but all I can tell you is. Yeah, all I can tell you is the current state of the law, and I've asked a bunch of immigration lawyers, if you're legally in the country, if you're illegally in the country, can you legalize your status? And for the most part, the answer is no. The only part, the for the, for the most part part of that is if you're here and claiming asylum and you have a legitimate claim and an immigration court decides that you have a legitimate claim as to asylum, you can become a legal resident, doesn't make you a citizen. But right now, the current status of all the branches of the military is we'll take you if you're a citizen, we'll take you if you're a permanent resident legally living in the United States. And oh, it sounds like no you never were. Any of that. I'm having no argument at all with that. I'm just saying, is whatever they did, they looked in my background or whatever, but they put on that paper, my DD-214, that I'm not a citizen and I was born in Canada. It sounds like you've got a tough, tough haul when it comes to Social Security because, for the most part, if you if you don't um, if you are not a citizen, you don't get Social Security. Oh, I found that out already. So I can't. So I decided. Well, come, let me. Can you give me a copy of my Social Security number, a replacement card? Nothing doing, as they say. And I need a copy of that to get to the Operating Engineers Union, Local 12 in Los Angeles, in order to get my pension. And you can't get one because you're not a citizen and you're not a green card-holding alien. That's a tough, tough spot. But it sounds like you should have legalized your status when you're 18. That's what happens to most kids of foreign national. Bill, I appreciate the call. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated. But the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.